Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of May 29th through 31st, 2020. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. So I hope everyone's hanging out in there. I know it's been a rough week, a lot going on in the U.S. here in the States as the dumpster fire that is 2020 continues on into its sixth month. Um, but I hope everyone is staying strong and finding something uh, in order to keep them going. Uh, I was For me, I was pretty excited to watch the SpaceX launch this past weekend as we saw astronauts reach orbit uh, launching from Kennedy Space Center for the first time in nearly a decade from a private uh, rocket ship, no less. Um, you know, the news that Tom Cruise is supposedly planning some sort of space movie alongside director Doug Lehman of the uh, Edge of Tomorrow movie series uh, is pretty exciting and more realistic, looking more realistic every day, especially if Elon Musk and NASA get involved. Uh, on the flip side, uh, something that was a failure to launch was HBO Max, uh, especially compared to Disney+. Plus. Uh, as much as I want this to be a box office podcast, there really isn't much box office news as you probably have noticed the past couple of months. Uh, so you know, let's talk about the number behind the streaming service and the mess that is the HBO Max misfire. So the official launch of HBO Max was this past Wednesday, May 27th. Uh, price point was $15, which is you know already twice as much as Netflix and Disney+, Plus, though apparently there were some like $12 deals going around for um, AT&T customers or previously existing members. Um, and that that's also part of it, right? There's also a lot of confusion about whether or not uh, existing HBO Go and HBO Now or whatever it's called, uh, subscribers would be able to upgrade for free and how or if they would have to pay and how you would do so. Uh, Content-wise, HBO, you know, being part of Warner Media, being part of AT&T, has a pretty decent backlog of films and television shows. Um, but all enough seems to be incomplete in places. I mean, on the plus side, uh, you have movies like the DC Universe, uh, Harry Potter, Studio Ghibli, uh, Turner Classic Movies, and the and the Critian Collection, um, which is actually pretty tempting for me, honestly. Um, as well as TV shows like Friends, Big Bang Theory, Rick and Morty, Doctor Who, and New Adventures of Adventure Time. You know, on the other side, there are weird holes such as like you know there's no superman movies there's you know the, th- the second of the three hobbit films are missing it's like there's like a weird you know bunch of missing stuff um and you know on top of that there's while there is a lot of content there there isn't really brand new marquee content you know when disney plus launched a couple like you know half a year ago at this point you know they had obviously you know disney movies uh, including like disney channel stuff um, they had uh, Star Wars stuff, they had the Marvel stuff, um, and, you know, they had some original shows, and, you know, some of them weren't super, super big. Um, I remember one of them was, like, High School Musical or The Musical, um, but they did have the one, like, this big must-see show, which is The Mandalorian, uh, which really expanded on the Star Wars universe and was, you know, super high budget. I think it was, like, $100 million uh, for one season. Um, HBO Max doesn't really have that. I mean, there are some shows, you know, the not so late so with Elmo, uh, this voguing uh, dance show, uh, legendary. Um, but uh, you know the big marquee tentpole uh, that they were supposed to have was this Friends reunion, and that got delayed in production wise due to the COVID nineteen. So there's not really anything you know that's must watch uh, for HBO Max. Um, yeah, without that major temple, it's really it's really rough for them. I mean, they did say that the Snyder Cut is you know supposedly coming, but that's not going to be for another year. Um, and you know, supposedly it's going to cost them thirty million dollars to actually produce, which I guess the Snyder Cut wasn't actually already done and could just be released. They have to still do work on it. 
Um, perhaps the biggest sin, though, of the HBO Max launch is that they were unable to get distribution deals uh, with Roku and Amazon Fire TVs. Um, I personally have a Roku, and I also have, you know, I, I have HBO, whichever it is, go or now through my Amazon account. Um, but then, uh, you know, Amazon isn't allowing users to upgrade to HBO Max, and Roku just doesn't have it as an app available on the store, on the store to, you know, download onto it on your smart TV, um, you know, since Roku and Amazon Fire make up 70% of streaming devices uh, in, in in the US, that's a pretty big swing in the miss and a huge misstep for HBO Max. They really needed to have that lockdown before going live. Um, you know, it'd be kind of like trying to, you know, have a movie go live for Oscar contention without premiering in LA or New York uh, where the majority of the critics are, right? So, you know, that's just a big blunder on their part, you know, so between all these factors, you know, the launch of HBO Max from a numbers perspective is pretty atrocious. Uh, estimates for the first day downloads of the HBO Max app is about 90,000. I think the exact number was like 87,000 that I saw. Um, not millions, thousands. Uh, for comparison, Disney Plus had 4 million downloads in its first day. Uh, and even Quibi, Kibi, whatever, that's that mobile-only streaming app, um, you know, that was a pretty much of a, a disaster uh, launching like, you know, for a mobile on-the-go streaming service that, you know, didn't have a TV version. That had only 300, that had 300,000 downloads. So, you know, over three times as much as HBO Max. The, again, you know, H, uh, Creepy does have to, is mobile only, so that's the only way to get it as opposed to, you know, maybe signing up for an account online. Um, you know, and now, now that 90,000 is, is maybe not as bad as it seems, perhaps, you know, um, it's only for new downloads of the app. Apparently, previous HBO Go and HBO Now members using the app could just update the app uh, without having to download something new, and that wouldn't be reflected in these numbers. Um, I guess one way to look at it is, you know, there were 33 million total uh, HBO Now uh, downloads since 2015, so over five years, whereas Disney's already at 50 million total in, like, you know, um, uh, in, in like half a year. But then on average, HBO Now uh, was having about 16,000 downloads a day. So the fact that, you know, they got 90,000 in one day means that, you know, it's, I guess, like what, eighty-five, eighty-four $84,000, $84,000 additional downloads in a single day. So maybe that's a plus, but maybe I don't think it's on the level that they were expecting. Um, the marketing campaign for HBO Max seems to have been pretty muddled and ineffective. If you look at Google Trends uh, and the months leading up to this launch, it's pretty much flat. There's like no buzz at all. Whereas you know months before Disney Plus launched, it was already you know comparable to Netflix. You're search for, searching people searching for Netflix online, similar to Disney Plus. Um, so yeah, I would definitely hold off on uh, subscribing to HBO Max for the time being until they get those shit sorted out. Uh, in any case, uh, in other streaming news, Netflix. Uh, Netflix finalized a deal to buy the historic Egyptian theater in Hollywood. Um, this is pretty key for them, actually, since you know, in order to be uh, awards eligible for a lot of the movies, they need to have their film screen in the LA County. Um, though obviously, because of the pandemic, the Academy has relaxed those rules. Um, now, given that traditional exhibitors like AMC and Regal haven't screened Netflix films, you know, due to them not respecting theatrical windows, you know, Netflix has made do by working with smaller independent theaters to get their stuff screened um, with any special events and Q and A's with the actors. To you know, these small theaters will get Netflix, will have run Netflix movie to get that you know exclusive event um, in Hollywood. Um, 
However, now Netflix has a venue of their own to screen, you know, their films to qualify in LA. Um, you know, there is a long overdue episode I have to do at some point about the whole, you know, regulations about movie studios uh, and distributors owning the exhibit exhibition. Um, I believe the most recent case was like while that was the case and kind of in practice pretty much is um, on like, at least on a major scale. Um, recent legislation from the federal government has kind of made it not going to be enforced as much, though I don't see any of the major studios having, you know, kind of swoop in for that. So, um, in any case, uh, yeah, that's, that's kudos to Netflix for this acquisition. Um, on the other hand, though, you know, contrary to this, it looks like for this awards season, uh, Netflix is going to skip the festival circuit, you know, so traditionally films, you know, will try to premiere at a major film festival, you know, Venice, um, Toronto, Telluride, Sundance, uh, you know, Cannes, uh, and then the New York Film Festival. I believe Irisman premiered at the New York Film Festival here uh, at the Lincoln Center. Um, so the films for this year that Netflix seems to have primarily for uh, awards consideration is David Fincher's Mank, Ron Howard's Hillbilly Elegy, and Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, you know, among others. Um, it seems that Netflix is going to skip to this little big film festivals. Um, they haven't really said why that's their strategy. I mean, you know, their strategy last year was really successful, um, got a ton of nominations, but ended up not getting the wins. You know, I think part of this may be the fact that, you know, there is an existential question of whether or not film festivals will be a thing at all this year. Um, you know, right now, I believe, as of, as of the time of recording, the uh, We Are One Global Film Festival is streaming a bunch of stuff from various film festivals worldwide on YouTube for free. Um, but, you know... Uh, nothing like super brand new premiere wise um so i don't know if you know netflix may be just choosing not to send their talent uh and stuff to film festivals if they happen at all in the first place um the other part is that you know film festivals just tend to not be very receptive to netflix you know these are the people who are the most in love with the theatrical experience and so for them netflix coming in and kind of ruining the theatrical experience by ruining the theatrical windows i mean you know bong joon ho had a film that premiered on netflix at Cannes, and he got and his and when the netflix logo came up it got booed on stage and this is bong joon ho who you know a couple years later would go on to win the palm door so um yeah kansas has been very traditionally anti-netflix um and again even with the very impressive nomination uh numbers that they got last year for the irisman and mirrored story it just ended up not getting any of the major awards for them so maybe they're shifting their strategy to try to you know build support in another way not to do the traditional you know film circuit um, you know, I'll probably cover this more whenever I restart my other podcast, the Oscars Death Race podcast. Um, but this is pretty interesting to see out of Netflix. Uh, switching over to another streaming provider, Apple. So Apple TV um, actually finally came to terms with uh, the long-discussed Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Leonardo DiCaprio, a film called Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, apparently, they worked out a deal between them and Paramount Studios, uh, where, where Paramount Studios will have a theatrical release, followed by its streaming exclusively on Apple TV. Now, Scorsese, obviously, last year came out with The Irishman, uh, which had a ridiculously huge budget, um, and obviously, Netflix kind of funded that in the hopes of getting an, of award nominations and award wins. Um, so it looks like Apple TV is kind of making the same play here. Um, the budget is looking to be more than 200 million worldwide, which is pretty ridiculous for a film of this scope. I guess, you know, 
Leo, Leo doesn't come cheap. Um, you know, given though that Apple has snatched up Tom, the Tom Hanks war movie that was supposed to come out this year, Greyhound, um, it seems they're making more concerted effort to be taken more seriously for serious cinema like this. So we'll keep an eye on Apple to see if they kind of make more of these prestige film acquisitions. Um, another film that got greenlit finally is the Sonic the Hedgehog sequel. Um, yeah. Uh, not much more to say on that, but good on that team for turning around that disaster of the initial trailer around to, you know, what is currently, and uh, let me check my notes, uh, is currently the second highest grossing movie of 2020 so far. If you had told me last year that Song the Hedgehog would be the second highest grossing film of 2020 behind Bad Boys for Life, I would have asked that you were smoking. Um... Anyway, let's go back to traditional theaters away from streaming for a second. Uh, some good news, AMC seems to be out of the woods uh, with some analysts upgrading them from a cell to neutral if you enter the, you know, the Wall Street uh, investing side of things. Um, the bankruptcy threat that they seem to be dealing with seems to have passed, uh, probably because theaters are hopeful that July uh, is going to be when theaters reopen uh, to Christopher Nolan's Tenet, um, which last time, last most last I checked on our Tenet watch is still scheduled for uh, July 17th. Um, and then Amazon, the Amazon acquisition talks for AMC have died down as well. Um, on other positive news, Cineworld, the owner of Regal Studios here in the States, as well as other theater chains abroad, also says it's planning on opening by mid-July worldwide when permitted uh, and has borrowed money to help them continue operations. Um, you know, the, the crew of Avatar 2 has returned to New Zealand and is currently doing quarantine so they can get back to production. Uh, the Batman movie with uh, Robert Pattinson is apparently restarting production in London. Um, however, on the other side, it seems that San Francisco uh, has mid-August pinned as the date for theaters to reopen. Um, LA and New York don't have film dates, um, so some are thinking that they will open longer than that, which, you know, personally, I don't hope so being in New York. Um but no one knows for sure. Uh, even in places with theaters, and these are mostly independent theaters, I think in some places the estimates were like 3% of theaters worldwide have re- or in the states have reopened were allowed. Um, yeah, it's, those those theaters are reporting that traffic is only about 20 to 30% of what it was last year, uh, versus, this year versus last year. Um, so, you know, even if theaters are limited to only 50% capacity, only half of that limited capacity is being filled. Um, now, part of the problem is that there are no new films to be seen in theaters. And so why would you risk going to the theater if there's nothing new to be seen? Uh, most places open are showing classics like, you know, the 80s films The Goonies, Indiana Jones, E.T., Back to the Future. Um, you know, that said, I think a lot of these theaters are running, uh, try, try to get the machine up and running so that hopefully when July 17th comes around and they're able to open, Tenet is there and people who have started for the movie experience will make their way out to see uh, Tenet in theaters. Um, now, because of that, there is a little bit more onus on Warner to like not mess with the exhibitors by saying, oh yeah, we're totally doing 17th and then last minute back out. Um, but we'll see, because uh, if they do, then small theaters who are banking on this will be left high and dry and you may see some theaters closing, unfortunately. Uh, we'll see. Uh, LA and New York make up about, I, I believe the last numbers I saw were about 12 to 14% of domestic box office, which is pretty big for just those two cities. Um, so, you know, if they are closed by July 17th, I'm not really sure if Tenet will reopen or not. It's a very good chance that they may and just bet to, to go for a long time. But, you know, Warner may just decide to buy that bullet and, and go for the places that are open. You know, we'll see. In any case, uh, I know it's a short episode this week. Um, 
but yeah, not a ton of news there. Um, no top five this week, but let's talk about what I've been watching. Uh, I finished up my pre-1990 Steven Spielberg episode of my Filmography and Focus podcast. Uh, so I finished up with 1941, The Color Purple, and Always. Uh, definitely enjoyed working on that episode. Make sure you go check that out. Um, in Color, Color Purple particularly, I uh, had these two great musical scenes, which I was not expecting, but you know, really uh, stood out for me there. Um, I'm going to be working on the Evangelion Rebuild movies because of my anime podcast. That's the topic that's coming out this Friday. So I better you know be, hopefully by the time you listen to this, I've gotten my way through them. Um, I always take a break from movies that I'm watching exclusively for podcasts, huh? I, I do have a list of movies I do want to get at to at some time, so maybe I'll get to them this weekend after I finish Evangelion. Um, who, who am I kidding? I have a bunch of Vietnam War movies from Filmography and Focus I need to get to. Uh, in any case, with that, that wraps up this week's watch. Uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions for box office concepts for me to cover, send me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, all the usual places. Uh, if you leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podchaser.com, that would be super helpful. I'll include those links in the show notes below. Uh, numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music comes from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production is, produ- is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. See you guys. Mm-hmm.